Blog Talk Radio. Desperate House Witches. I am Raina Starr, your host. This is part two of my Saturday doubleheader. Joining me for the current hour, I'm very excited, um, is the author of The Crooked Path and the upcoming uh, The Witch's Sabbath, an exploration of history, folklore, and modern practice, Keldon. But before I bring Keldon on, just a reminder that Dorothy Morrison, who sponsors the show, has just released the link for her Merry Month of Morrison mystery packages at wickedwitchstudios.com. Please check the show page for that link. You can also visit wickedwitchstudios.com. And, well, I don't know if you're going to find the link there. It's on Dorothy's social media page, so check it out. All right. And now, without further ado... Author Keldon is joining me. Hey, Keldon. Hi. Hi. Blessed Beltane. Oh, happy Beltane. <laughs> mm. So I was very happy to hear that you were writing a new book. And tell us all about it. Yeah. So this book kind of. Um, I've written The Crooked Path, and I kind of was not really sure if I was going to write another book or what I would write about. Um, and my publisher, Llewellyn, they were already, well, really my editor, Heather, she was like, what are you, what are your, what is your next book going to be about? And I was like, oh, I, oh God, I don't know. Um, and kind of no like pressure. the, right, kind of like with the first one, like, um, you know, it was just like one night I was laying in bed and suddenly I was just yeah. like, oh my God, what I'm going to write about, this is what the table of contents is roughly going to look like. This is like the structure. And I was like, okay, here we go. Um, and when I wrote, when I wrote the crooked path, there is a section in there about the witch's Sabbath. And uh-huh. when I had got my, um, when I had gotten my kind of um, edit note back, they were like, you know, this is really good information, but it's kind of a lot in comparison to other sections of the book. Can you cut it down a little bit? And I was like, mm, uh-huh. okay. I was very reluctant. But then I was like, you know what, let's just turn that into a whole book on its own. Um, yep. And so this book is kind of my love letter to The Witch's Sabbath and looking at how this concept developed throughout history and the kind of folklore that's generated about it, as well as then how that concept has continued on into our modern era and into the modern practice of witchcraft. How do we kind of come full circle to this idea of the witch's Sabbath. Mm-hmm. 
you already had this somewhat formed in your mind as to what you were going to write about, which I guess is good because I, my understanding from a lot of writers is writer's block is a curse, <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes it's very hard to get past it. So it's great that you had um, a, a concept to start from, which is great. Um, so what is what, so? Where do you start with 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 the Sabbath? Well, that's a good question because I wanted to kind of go backwards in time. Um, <laughs> I think uh, the witch's Sabbath is kind of this sort of beautiful tapestry with all of these different threads woven in, and we have this kind of concise conception, like folklorically, about what the witch's Sabbath is. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess it's important to make a distinction here that um, in, in a lot of kind of our modern um, witchcraft world, when we think about Sabbath, we think of Sabbath. We think of maybe mm-hmm. things like the wheel. I mean, here we are. Today is Beltane. Um, and so for a lot of modern practitioners, the Sabbath exists as sort of um, specific seasonal holidays. Um, mm-hmm. But within the folklore, which eventually that wheel of year would come out of, that wasn't the case. It was more about general meetings of witches and spirits. And, of course, classically, the devil. Um, And so when I thought, hmm, I want to go back in time, right? If we have this kind of clear picture, like how can we break it down? Where do all of these individual threads come from? And so really it was a matter of kind of pulling at the threads until the whole tapestry kind of fell apart and then sorting through through those pieces. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest challenges is that there really is no um, sort of clear origin point of the witch's Sabbath. Historically, um, you know, there's not really necessarily a point where we can go, ah, aha, that's when the witch's Sabbath kind of became a thing. Um, There's kind of a collection of those moments. And there is one historical moment that – is close, but yeah. really there's there's no definitive point. So with that, the witch's Sabbath also had, was never this sort of um, clear-cut, concise, monolithic thing. It there are certain commonalities, but and it sort of exists as a loose structure. But when you go and you look at the Sabbath war in different countries and different places, even different places within yeah. the same country, there's all these variations. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was never this sort of, um, you know, it looks the same. It's like cookie cutter everywhere. Um, and that also kind of makes the research both interesting and difficult when looking mm-hmm. for how did this develop? Right. Well, you know, and I love the fact, because I got the PowerPoint, obviously, um, <laughs> which 
I appreciate, and it's beautifully laid out, and I, I like the art and everything. As a matter of fact, um, the the picture um, that you that you have on the on the very front is the one is one that I was looking to buy for my room. But anyway, um, you know, um, being half Jewish, the Sabbath in you know my former household was, you know, being the day of rest and you know, a time to pray and reflect and gather. And I'm I'm just wondering, you know, when when anyone talks about a Sabbath, doesn't it mean primarily the same thing? Mm. Well so that was a that was kind of an interesting piece too. It's like the the term Sabbath, um, traditionally, right, it means day of rest. It's associated mm-hmm. with Christianity and Judaism. Um, right. And so how did this term come to be associated with witches? And there's a lot of different sort of hypotheses about this. Um, uh-huh. So first of all, the term Sabbath and its connection with witches actually kind of comes late in the game. Um, a lot of right. times early on, meetings of witches were called things like, you know, something's kind of generic, like assemblies, um, but a really common uh-huh. that was used was synagogue. Um, really? And this is, I did not know this. Yeah. Um, and so part of this is, is it really reflects how um, – as part of the historical development of the witches' Sabbath, it includes the persecution and suspicion of Jewish people and the view that, that, um, that Judaism sort of represented a form of heresy and sorcery. Um, uh-huh. And so that really early use of the word synagogue to an association with witches kind of reflects that sort of early prejudice. Um, So in terms of when the word Sabbath came to be associated with witches, um, that was really difficult to kind of pin down. And the closest I got um, is that it's kind of the first use supposedly comes from a trial of a French woman from 1446. Um, But it really Mm -hmm. wasn't until the century that the word Sabbath became commonly used. Um, mm-hmm. some, some of the sort of speculative reasoning behind this um, is that the, that day of rest, classically, um, although today, like, right, like when we think of like the day of rest, especially within Christianity, we think Sunday. Um, sure. But classically, it was Saturday. Um, really? Saturday, and this is um, one of the um, writers um, kind of back in this era who was writing about this, Jean Baudin, um, he, was, he was thinking, well, Saturday is associated with the planet Saturn, and Saturn is kind of mm-hmm. seen as this malicious evil planet. Um, he also points out, um, was particularly interesting, that Saturday was a night um, 
when it was thought that God gave permission basically for evil spirits to kind of torment people, um, which to me is like, <laughs> seems so odd. Um, so there was this idea that Saturday um, would be would be this night for witches. And um, there is some connection between the word Sabbath and Saturn. Um, so there's all of this etymological sort of kind of theories going into it. Um, although as folklore would later show, like there's not really a specific, um, you know, the Sabbath isn't, the witch's Sabbath isn't um, limited to Saturday nights or anything, but that's kind of some of where that term comes from. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. So talk to me about this, this section. It says early accusations. And there's things here that I had never known about. Like um, I was particularly struck by the section of where it was rumored and I guess this is during the quote-unquote Sabbath uh, in Christianity that they engaged in incest, infanticide, and cannibalism. I'm like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I have not heard this. I'm like, really? Are you kidding? So can you please um, yep. shed some light on that? Because I, 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 I am not uh, learned enough about these things. So this is this was a really surprising um, kind of revelation to me as well, and I think it will end up being one for a lot of readers. Is that the sort of very early like um, kind of chains in the sort of link towards the witch's Sabbath actually starts with early accusations against Christians. Um, so when Christianity was was sort of first starting, the, the Romans and the Greeks were really suspicious of, of Christians. And mm-hmm. there were these rumors circulating that, that Christians would gather in these, at these sort of nocturnal meetings and they would engage in these three specific acts, um, incest, infanticide, and cannibalism. Um, and I think those three acts are very deliberately chosen in the way that they sort of represent um, the antithesis of, like, human nature or, like, natural law mm-hmm. um, to kind of go against humanity. Um, and they're chosen in that way to really vilify this this new group of people. Um and so one of the one of the kind of early sources we see this in um, is in the text Octavius, which was written sometime in the second century. And the author um, at point um, discusses these sort of ideas about gatherings of Christians, and it includes things um, like an initiation ritual that involves infanticide uh, and cannibalism as well as this kind of incestuous orgy where, you know, at the end of the meeting, the room's plunged into darkness and everyone just starts to engage in, in sexual congress rather indiscriminately. 
Um, and what's fascinating about this is that when Christianity um, finally took hold in the fourth century, um, the Christians kind of took those those accusations around those three acts and these sort of nocturnal meetings, and they started to say that about other groups. Um, so they kind of took a page out of, out of the Roman and Greek playbook and started to use that against groups that they deemed um, to be enemies. Uh-huh. And that, of course, then lead into accusations of heresy later on. Um, so groups that were deemed heretical by the church um, were often then accused of these sort of secret nocturnal meetings. Um, and, of course, at that point, then they started to blend in ideas about um, things like uh, demon worship of sorcery uh-huh. um, as well as acts of apostasy. So things like trampling crosses and desecrating hosts and black mass. And so we can see the next layer added to this idea. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So talk to me about the the tie-in with King Philip of France. Oh, and the edict, <laughs> yes. So this was kind of a another kind of a link, um, another tie-in. Um, so in France, um, and this was in this was in the 14th or 12th century. I have one of the centuries. That's great scholarship on my part. <laughs> um, but leprosy was a big problem in France. Um, mm-hmm. And these sort of rumors started kind of trickling up towards the king at the time, so King Philip V. Um, and the rumors were that those with leprosy were plotting against basically the Christian kingdom, that their intended goal was to infect um, healthy Christians um, and they were doing this by poisoning the water supply. And wow. one early man had come forward and he confessed um, that that he was a part of this plot. And as part of it, he had attended this assembly of lepers where they rejected where they rejected Christianity and they engaged in those acts of apostasy. Um, mm-hmm. So again, this like this secret nocturnal meeting for nefarious purposes. Um, mm-hmm. and, and other groups were pulled into this as well in various regions of France. Um, in some places, it was thought that the, um, the lepers were acting of their own accord. Um, but in other areas, it was said that the Jewish people actually hired the lepers to do this, to carry out this plot for them. And then in other areas, they went even a step further and said that the Muslim people hired the Jews who hired the lepers. Um, <laughs> and so, wow. so because of this, um, people with leprosy were imprisoned, they were tortured, and a great deal of them were burned at the stake. Um, and the, the edict issued by King Philip V kind of allowed for this to happen. Um, and it didn't say anything in it specifically about the Jewish people, but we know that around the same time in certain areas, 
um, Jewish people were being rounded up as well. And um, there was one rather infamous massacre that happened. Um, and eventually, though, the kind of hysteria winded down. Um, and there's not necessarily a clear point um, in this instance either where uh, we know it like ended for sure. But in October 1338, Pope Benedict XII um, issued a bull, and in that bull, he references the fact that um, the lepers had kind of been exonerated already. Um, so we know that at some point prior to that, um, they had mm -hmm. been sort of um, cleared of their crimes. However, unfortunately, um, we know that the Jewish people would continue to be persecuted, um, especially mm -hmm. as they kind of were started to look, started to um, be looked upon as being heretics. Um, yeah. Not a first. Oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. always, you know, pe you know, over the centuries, scapegoating has always had a place in the world apparently. But right. I I thought that was I thought it was really interesting, you know. And I find it interesting because you list all of these all of these sects, you know, that, um, for example, uh, Pope Lucius uh, established uh, an inquisition for rooting out heretics. The Catharists? I'm not familiar with the Catharists. Yep, so that was a group, the Tsarists. Um, and, but really, in terms of our, our sort of development, of um, the witches' Sabbath, um, and mm -hmm. nothing against this one, um, but really it was the um, Waldensians that really um, kind of were the next sort of link in the chain. Um, and this was a group who um, was founded in Lyon, France um, in the 1170s. Um, and essentially this group, their leader, was very disillusioned with the Catholic Church and kind of all of their sort of pageantry and um, and a lot of their different sort of um, I guess behavior. I'm not sure what I'm looking for, um, but so essentially their whole mission was that they um, chose poverty. They chose to live impoverished um, because they believed mm -hmm. that that was the God to do. They wanted to live like the apostles, um, and they believed that the church was kind of shirking its duty by, by accepting payment and, and kind of living this um, really kind of guilted, um, I'm thinking like I'm just imagining all of this gold, everything golden in my head. Um, and um, they also believed that anyone who wanted to could be um, a preacher, so man, woman, um, didn't matter. Um, uh -huh. They also translated the Bible and gave it out to their followers, which was like a big no-no. Um, and so they were very labeled as heretics. And um, yeah. with the papal inquisition in 1231, um, it was like, okay, let's, you know, let's exterminate these people. Um, and ended up, the Waldensians ended up really kind of going up into the sort of Alpine um, in Europe and, and building these strongholds 
but there were, um, you know, there were still traveling preachers that would get caught, and there were two, two um, rather infamous ones, and part of their, what they confessed to was that they would have these secret meetings at night where they would preach. Um, mm-hmm. Part of that, um, kind of the same sort of accusations came out about orgies and things like mm-hmm. that. And so the it, interesting thing, it seems, another interesting thing about them is they started to okay. also be seen as sorcerers. Um, right. That sort of magic element started to get filtered into that. Um, and in, um, in some regions, actually, the word for Waldensians, which was boudoir, um, was used synonymously to mean witch. Interesting. Um, so it seems like, you know, if you weren't toting the the party line, as it were, you could be you could be uh, cast as being evil. And I guess under cover of night, you know, it's very easy to make up what you think is or what you want people to believe is happening. Because obviously if you were preaching um, and you weren't sticking to what the common faith was, you know, to try to crush that, it seems from, from, you know, what you've researched that they would throw any kind of dispersion, including, well, quote-unquote dispersion, including witchcraft, um, and along with, you know, infanticide and orgies and incest and all of these crazy things, whether or not they're true uh, doesn't seem to matter. This sounds very familiar to a lot of folks today. Um, <laughs> forgive me for saying so, but, yeah, it just seems like everything, all of the negativity that witches have faced over the centuries all come from, these kinds of things, you know, where, you know, it's not enough to disagree. You have to give reason to pe- people a reason to be fearful and, and, and hate-filled, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so as, I mean, as all of this is going on, essentially what it's coming down to is the creation of this idea of diabolical witchcraft. Um, that's mm-hmm. a term that scholars use, um, and really it's about sort of that that marriage between heresy and sorcery. Um, and sorcery mm-hmm. was seen as acts of magic that involved demons, uh, making pacts with demonic spirits. Um, and, and, and at some points it was kind of distinguished from sort of folk magic or superstition. Um, but those two started to to also kind of be mixed together. The line between them in sort of the the minds of, of persecutors and, and the writers of the time started to to really blend together and it didn't matter um you know what you know where your magic was coming from, it was all bad. And so when you have this mm-hmm. sort of source plus the heresy um, so really, like, being antithetical to um, the church as well as incorporating um, 
you know, more of those acts of apostasy, you're starting to get this image of witchcraft um, that is diabolical, and that would become the center of the witch's Sabbath. Um, And so what what makes it hard to kind of find that origin point is all of this stuff is kind of going on sort of in different areas at different times, and it's kind of hard to say what influenced what, um, and and right. in the back in the background of all of this, there's also these kind of folkloric elements that were also kind of brewing, um, you know. So like at this point, like we're still missing ideas of like night flight and things like that. Right. Um, that was um, central to the witch's Sabbath, um, and so we have to kind of look at. Um, at other things at this point. And so, um, for example, like a big, a big part of it is the idea of the Strix, um, these kind of mythological bird creatures um, mm. originating from in mythology. Um, and these are these really freaky kind of owl-like birds that were said to eat babies. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, but sometimes um, they were also thought to be women um, who could transform into birds, and in that sense, they they really seem similar to the concept of the witch in the classical world to possess the ability to shapeshift. Um, mm-hmm. The first century, um, one of the grammarians, Sextus. Pompeius Festus um, writes that um, the strigae, which is another way of saying strict, um, was a term for women mm-hmm. who practiced magic and would fly by night. Um, and so mm-hmm. this concept is starting to change and shift towards um, being sort of this witch figure. Um, and by the 6th century, one of the earliest bodies of German law um, talks about the Strier, but also mentions this other figure, um, the Herbergus, who is defined as this person who carries a cauldron to where the Strier do their cooking. And this is interesting mm-hmm. because now we're it's not just that the Strix is this singular night-flying woman or bird, it's a group of them. And they gather together yeah. and they cook together. Um, and mm-hmm. so we're like, mm, I see some parallels here. Um, uh-huh. And that's maybe another good point that I didn't necessarily make is that, you know, witches have always sort of been a thing. But up until, up until the time that the concept of the witch's Sabbath is starting to percolate, witches were often seen as just being solitary sort of individuals kind of going about their, you know, their wicked deeds by themselves. But Uh now, now with this concept starting, it's about groups of witches coming together. And so if one witch is scary, a group of witches is absolutely terrifying. Sure. Um, (laughs) It makes sense. And so in the folklore, we start to see a common narrative about night women, women who wander through the night. Um, 
kind of the most infamous sort of example of this comes from the Kennet episcopi, um, which was first recorded in 1960. Um, and this is kind of a sort of body of Catholic law. Um, but, and I think a lot of people are familiar with this. Um, essentially, it says that there's, there's these certain women that are kind of um, tricked by the devil um, and they ride out at night on animals led by Diana, um, who they say is the goddess of pagans, although they're really trying to hammer in the fact that, like, this is actually Satan in disguise. Um, mm-hmm. But they ride through the with Diana, and they serve her as their mistress. Um, and this is a really pivotal text. Um, it goes on to influence quite a lot of different writers. Um and, and this idea of the night-wandering women continues. Um, in the 11th century, we get Ricard of Worms, who um, writes in his text, Decretum, um, which is sort of this kind of uh, manual for questioning people um, about superstitious beliefs and then kind of how to punish them. And in, in this list of questions, there are a few that, that reference sort of um, ghostly women, including one that is a direct reference to the canon episcopi. Um, this idea also um, spreads further out um, into other writings. Um, yeah. William Overn in 1230 um, writes about the ladies um, who are, again, these night wanderers, and they're led by a leader who he names Satia or Abundia, um, who are various kind of folkloric spirits. Um, the poem Roman de la Rose again mentions good ladies um, following a leader, Lady Hubanda. Um, but then there's also places, I mean, like in Italy, for example, there were two famous trials of women who supposedly attended these nocturnal meetings led by a mysterious woman named Madame Orient. Um, and would, they would feast, and she would teach them different acts of magic and how to use herbs um, and things like that. Yeah. They would go to people's houses in the night and eat their food and bless their homes. Um, so, so again, this idea of coming together at night, and now we're kind of getting the idea of there being a distinct sort of spiritual leader. Um, interesting at this point that it's mostly women. Um, right. Another, another um, concept that also often gets discussed um, by scholars in terms of the development of the witch's Sabbath is the wild hunt. Um, uh-huh. So this, this folkloric idea of a band of ghosts or spirits being led through the sky um, by a leader. Um, this is kind of an interesting point for me because the wild hunt also um, is one that's kind of hard to, to trace in terms of how it developed. The sort of modern conceptualization we have was really put together by Jacob Grimm in 18, 1835 in his book, Deutsch Mythology. Um, 
And he pulled from a lot of different um, texts to kind of create this synthesized vision of the wild hunt. Um, but essentially, that idea also developed over time um, sort of as this group of wandering spirits, usually spirits who were sort of seeking penitence for their sins. Um, and for a long time, it lacked the kind of distinguishable leader that we would recognize today, you know, whether that's uh-huh. um, Diane or Odin. Um, so I'm not sure really how much that concept actually would have influenced or tied in um, to it, but there are some cases where um, the wild hunt did sort of blend in or kind of was um, introduced into witch trials, but that was relatively rare. Um, Uh So it's kind of an interesting side piece, but for me personally, I'm not sure just how influential it actually would have been. I think it's easy to look back retroactively and be like, oh, yes, this must have been... um, Influential, but I think it's really more of that night wandering women who influenced the sort of um, idea of of night flight. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the transportation aspect I found very interesting. I'm like, mm-hmm. really, where where we show up and kiss the devil's ass? I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, so um, yeah, so kind of kind of skipping forward, um, like when a we look bit. at Let's skip forward a little bit, yeah, because <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> that goes into this, and um, you know, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, so the the ideas of transportation, how do witches how do witches get to the Sabbath? Um, this was actually a really debated topic amongst writers of the time. Um, some people really? were adamant that, um, you know, that this was a physical event, which is actually went and gathered in person. Um, and within that, there were arguments about, okay, well, did witches actually fly there? Was that physical flight? Um, mm-hmm. Because then that led to the other perspective that, no, witches go to these meetings in spirits. Um, and it's funny because while the sort of learned writers were debating this, like the people confessing, um, they were like, we do it all. Um, sometimes we go in spirit, sometimes we go in person. Um, so, um, kind of interesting, interesting stuff there. Um, in terms of how flight was said to occur, um, a lot of times there were references to um, ointments being used. Um, So whether they were rubbed on the body or rubbed on a certain implement that would allow Mm -hmm. witches to fly. Um, There are a lot of really interesting incantations given in trial transcripts. Um, So Uh then maybe using spells to sort of enchant objects. And usually when witches fly, I mean, there are a few references to sort of unsupported flight, but for, in most accounts, there's sort of an object or an implement. Um, And 
today I think we're most we're most um, familiar with the broomstick, but that too was sort of um, late to the game and not necessarily as common. Um, really, it was probably it was probably I mean more common to hear of witches flying on just sticks um, or poles. Yeah. Um, right. But really, there was a whole host of objects, um, rakes, um, even things like chairs, um, otherwise animals, <laughs> different animals, sometimes people, um, unsuspecting people who had sort of been bewitched um, yeah. to sort of act as a um, ride to the Sabbath. Um, so it really it really shows up differently in, in different locations and regions as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just found it very interesting, you know, and I, I like some of the, uh, some of the quotes, white stick, black stick, carry me where you should go in the devil's name, you know, go. I thought that was fascinating. I'm like, really people actually like, put this out there, you know what I mean? It's like, because when I talk to witches now, a lot of folks are still very, even though we're in the modern era, it's like a lot of it is still really hush-hush, and, and, and they don't really, you know, are so, they are not really so present about where they go and what they do and how they do it. So I just found that really interesting, you know. So talk about um you know, continuing on in the elements, talk about location, please. Location. Mm-hmm. This was a really fun part to research. Um, was kind of looking at what are the different what are the different places where witches' sabbaths were said to be held. Um, one thing I thought was really interesting is these locations can be seen as sort of liminal areas, so areas that exist mm-hmm. in between. Um, you know, so whether that's a crossroads or a churchyard, um, even things like mountains or seashore, you're still existing between one thing and another. Um, right. There's, there's um, really, I mean, witches were kind of all over. Um, oftentimes it was an outdoor space, um, you know, which, you know, theoretically, and again, this is, you know, not very likely that any of these people were, you know, actually doing these things, but just for the sake of folklore, um, you know, mm-hmm. it would have been good to meet outdoors somewhere more desolate where you wouldn't, you know, be caught by someone. Um, but there are also cases of, of witches meeting indoors, even inside of the local church, um, meeting yeah, in public that's places. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, the the most unlikely place for you to go, and that's, you know, but I guess mm-hmm. that's like a question of hiding in plain sight, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Um, then there's some, there's certain locations that are specifically mentioned in folklore. I mean, so like, um, you know, last night being Walpurgis Nacht or Hexenacht, um, the witches of German folklore are said to gather on top of the Brauchen, um, also known sometimes as Blocksburg, which is actually the highest peak in the Herz Mountains in Germany. Um, there's other places, um, and listeners will have to forgive my pronunciations on certain things, but in France there's Pudé Dome, which is 
actually a lava dome, um, and it was said that witches mm. in France were there on Midsummer's Eve for their Sabbath. Um, mm. In um, in Sweden, there's Blackula, which is a sort of semi-mythical place, and it was described as an endless meadow um, where you could see no end. And in the center of that was supposedly this house, um, this kind of beautiful house where the Sabbath was held. Um, mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of fascinating locations, um, indoor, outdoor, public even, um, mm-hmm. which makes you want, you know. Um, but I guess that's part of the magic. Sure. I agree. So, um, let's see. And you've got, I mean, you've covered different countries in this. And it's not something, you know, it's not something I generally think about how, how things were done in other countries. But um, talk about the dates, the elements of the Sabbath. Yeah. Um, so, like we said, kind of at the beginning, like, dates were, um, you know, kind of, again, kind of all over the place. Um a quote that I really, I really enjoyed from one of the writers of the time, Henry Bouguet, um, you know, he says, I've concluded that there's no fixed day for the Sabbath, but basically that witches go whenever, whenever Satan asks them to. I mean, um, there were some witches that confessed going to the Sabbath multiple times a week. Um, wow. So it really, really, um, some of the kind of common days across um uh, across countries kind of on specific, on specific days. And a lot of times they mirrored kind of holy days. Um, so, um, for example, in Sweden, um, witches were often said to go to their Sabbath on Monday, Thursday, um, which is the celebration of the Last Supper, um, as well as, you know, sometimes that was also said to happen, um, the Sabbath was supposed to happen on Easter um, and that's actually still a thing in Sweden. They have the Easter witches. Um, in Germany, we have Walpurgis Nacht, so April 30th. Um, and that's, that's the eve right. of St. Walpurga, who, among many things, was said to protect against witches. Um, mm-hmm. it, one, of the, one of the really fascinating things is in, um, in Scotland, we actually get the only um, mention of the sort of of four specific days that that mirror our modern um, wheel of year, and this is actually where that would have come from. Um, so, a woman named mm-hmm. Isabel Smith confesses in 1661 that witches met on Candlemas, Rude Day, Lammas, and Hallowmas, and so that would equate, mm. you know, in other names like Imolk, Beltane, mm-hmm. um, Lunasa, and Samhain. Um, and this is actually something that would pop up in a lot of books, including Margaret Murray's work, which, of course, influenced Gerald Gardner. Um, mm-hmm. And so we can see a chain of development there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Some of days were individually mentioned, um, most often in Scotland specifically, but this was the sort of one time where all four were mentioned at once. Interesting. Very interesting. 
So you mentioned also here business. What exactly do you mean by business in this regard? The events of the Sabbath can sort of be roughly split into two halves, um, although that's Mm -hmm. not just that – you know, that it's it's necessarily clear-cut or widespread. Um, but there's sort of the business side of the Sabbath, and then there's sort of the pleasure aspect. And so business mm-hmm. would be, um, would include um, initiation of new members into the coven. That was oftentimes a big part of Sabbath meetings would be the induction of new members. Um, it could also include sort of recounting um, acts of, of magic um, or Maleficat, because this was oftentimes magic to cause harm, done since the last Sabbath. And some confessions they talk about at the start, the devil would kind of go around and ask witches, like, what did you do? And he would record it in his book. And any witch who was kind of lacking in their duties would usually get kind of beaten up by the other witches. Wow. Um, so wow. make sure that you're kind of doing your homework. Um, this would also include... Um, the black mass, um, which uh-huh. really, um, really only common in sort of um, countries that were closer to the Holy Roman Empire. Um, uh-huh. Accounts of the Sabbath closer to that region, so especially like in Spain, the Sabbath often is described as being very high ceremony versus when you get yeah. farther away, it's like Scotland, the Sabbath is often described more as kind of this festive sort of party. Um, so yeah. that's an interesting variation um, mm-hmm. and so business yeah a bit of a so harm to people harm to crops um, you know and even those kind of things can be broken down into further categories mm-hmm. which is interesting I, I like you know I, I find it I find it fascinating that you know the assumption was that witches were reporting in on all the, you know, kind of like the opposite of Santa. I kind of find, I found it funny. You know, it's like, were you a bad little witch? Did you, did you cause a ruckus everywhere you went? Good, good, you know. I just find it fascinating how people have, you know, set these things in their minds, you know, even back then, although you know, the working under cover of night is certainly something that's still attributed to witches. I just, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm in the modern age that I just find this, you know, it's interesting, but, I, I you know, some of it I still find kind of silly <laughs> in that regard that people, you know, um, needed to do that. You know, you always have to have something evil you know, in, in some places of the world to, like, make yourself feel better. I just, I just find that really interesting. Because, you know, I, when you get to the part where, you know, you start discussing pleasure, it's like, you know, it, start, it seems to start off really easily, you know, rather innocently feasting, and then <laughs> cannibalism, I'm like, oh, <laughs> here we go. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, surprisingly, actually, cannibalism is um, sort of rare in actual trial transcripts. Um, uh-huh. It is mentioned, um, but in comparison to 
some of the other aspects of the Sabbath. Um, you know, even writers at the time weren't, um, they didn't really talk about it a whole lot, which was sort of surprising. Um, mm-hmm. One of my, one of my favorites, one of my favorite sort of gruesome folklore bits is from, uh, is from Spain. And as part of their Sabbath, it was said that witches would actually go before the Sabbath to the cemetery and mm-hmm. they would dig up the of recently deceased witches so members of their own coven, and they would sort of right. um, dig bodies up, and they would take body parts, and they bring them to the Sabbath, and they cook them. But mm-hmm. if um, they would also bring home leftovers, so anything they didn't finish, they would bring home, and they would store in their yeah. cupboards, and then they would sort of have these like outside of the Sabbath sort of parties where they would get together at each other's house, and they would eat these leftovers. Um, wow, and I think that that's so beautifully gruesome. <laughs> like, um, it kind is, of interesting. Actually, it's kind of surprising. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're just eating yeah. the bodies of our these coven members. No big deal. <laughs> well, you know, considering when it was, you know, and and meat being at a premium, because I'm assuming that a lot of the people we're discussing here had, you know, very little money. Um, You know, you have to use the resources at hand because otherwise you don't eat in some circumstances. So, I mean, it is gruesome, but I do get it from that standpoint. Um, You know, there is such a thing as what is considered a waste of meat. Um, And, (laughs) yeah, it just... You know, being very resourceful, um, I'm sure that that would have been attributed to witches. It it fascinates me that there's just so many mentions of cannibalism. I'm like, wow, we're a little (laughs) thirsty pack, aren't we? (laughs) Don't you think? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, Keldon, we have like six minutes left. What would you like to touch on that we haven't yet? Um, I guess kind of just touching on, like, you know, okay, so, like, we read all this folklore, we, we're reading all this historical development. What the hell does any of this mean for a modern practitioner? Um, I mean, certainly right. I'm not advocating that we eat people or um, anything like right. that. Um, but, but really, it's about looking at the folklore and seeing um, kind of what, what we can take inspiration from as well as realizing what we've already been taking inspiration from without even realizing it. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that kind of makes me sad, and I'm hoping that this book can help um, sort of um, fix, is that there's large gaps in just common knowledge among practitioners of witchcraft. Um, and, and I blame that a lot on, on resources. Um, you know, a lot of these things that, a lot of the sources I turn to in my research, I mean, they're all academic books that are really inaccessible um, for, I mean, for a lot of people. Um, and so having a book that provides like, hey, like look at some of our history. This is part of our sort of folkloric lineage. Um, and, you know, things like, like this, like even the modern wheel of year, like this comes out of this folklore. Um, the ideas right. of, of witches 
dancing in circles and having these feasts and night flight, all of this, um, you know, even the concept of covens comes out of this folklore. Um, yeah. And so, and so it's good to kind of know where this comes from, but also to see the bigger context. I mean, and that requires looking at some of the things that are kind of icky and taboo. Um, Mm-hmm. And um, I think um, yeah. there, there's a lot that can be looked at in terms of even the Sabbath as kind of a symbol of rebellion. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I came across in all of my research comes from Matilda Jocelyn Gage, the suffragist. Um, in her book, Women, Church, and State, she talks about how the Sabbath um, is sort of this secret rebellion or secret protest of the people who the church had failed. Um, and I think that that is, is very accurate to the folklore that, um, you know, all of this sort of reverse imagery, whether that's, um, you know, the, the, the black mass or things like that, it's about sort of being transgressive and breaking away and taking and reclaiming your power, um, and I think that that's something we all can sort of relate to, especially in, you know, in our post-2020 sort of lives. Uh-huh. Um, and so much. I mean, so much I could talk about. Um, I mean, we didn't even get to discuss, like, how does this, how does this show up in, you know, in, in traditional witchcraft as sort of, you know, we're not necessarily in traditional witchcraft. Um, we're engaging with the Sabbath as an otherworldly event. So something that we travel mm-hmm. to inform versus kind of physical gatherings. Um, so, I mean, people will definitely have to check out the book when it comes out for, for all of the details we didn't get to discuss today. Well, we're going to have you back on to discuss more of the details as, <laughs> as we get closer to the book's release. So when does the yep. book come out? So I honestly, I'm not quite sure with the specific date just yet. I'm assuming it's going to be January, um, this, this okay. coming January, um, just based on Wonderful. my knowledge of the sort of publishing um, process. Um, but the book is written. Um, I have one more, one last kind of round of edits to get through, and then, and then it kind of is out of my hands from that point forward. I understand. So, Kelvin, can I get you to come back on in January or February so we can talk about how all of this relates to modern witchcraft? Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, then, boo-boo. Okay. So it has been a complete pleasure. Please tell folks really quickly if there is a place uh, where they can find you, if they have questions and want to learn more about you. Um, the probably the best place to sort of reach me is on Instagram at Kelvin Mercury. Um, I'm kind of still on a social media hiatus, but I do uh-huh. um, get messages there. And um, eventually, when you know when we start to get closer to book stuff, I'll be posting more about about that and kind of updates. That's awesome. Well, Kelvin, thank you so much for coming on to discuss your upcoming book with me. I'm really excited. Journey to the Witch's Sabbath, a historical and folkloric examination. It's going to be fantastic. And I really appreciate you coming on and giving us a preview. Thank you so much.
right, my love. Have a wonderful belting and talk to you very soon. Okay, bye. Bye. All right, everyone. I will be back on Thursday with the 4.15, Taliesin on Friday with the political show. And next Saturday, Gwen and Phoenix are coming on to discuss their book, Life Ritualized. Very exciting. Have a wonderful week. Blessed Beltane, all.